I'd like to welcome you to ING, where we try to learn something about everything. The where, when, what, why of the world, and how I see it. I question everything, because I'm no genius. So first off, first off, I want to thank Rexo of Rexo Quozo from the anyone from no agenda will know who that is they do or he does the group does a lot of the end of show mixes or a few of the end of show mixes and they he does they both do he does a great job Rexo and Quozo they do great work and that intro is an example of it it's just great i love it it's it's awesome i got a hold of the guy and jeez I mean, he does, he did good. He gave me three different, uh, three different intro sounds and I like that one best. I actually like all three of them. So I'm going to use all three and then we'll see which one I actually end up sticking with. But I had him put my son's voice in the beginning to kind of give you a, just the name of the podcast. I like putting my son in these things and I've had him on the outro of every episode before this, just saying subscribe and give me five stars. And it, that's going to continue on with this one as well. But yeah, it's it's great. I enjoy it a lot. And I think that's a great way to open this show. Thank you for that. And yeah, it was good. It was good. I like it. I like it a lot. It's making this seem more professional by the day. So thank you. But now, now on to show number 42. It's 42 shows. I have 42 shows. It's unbelievable. I have 42 shows. I never thought I'd stick with something this long. Um, even like this, this podcast is actually two years old. If you want to think about it in age, in number of episodes, only 42 episodes in two years. It sounds like a show a month, which it isn't not even close, but oh, wait, no, a show a month. No, no, that'd be 24, two shows a month. No. Head math. I'm not good at head math and I won't be, but no, I would be, I will be at some point I'll do better. But, um, yeah, show number 42 and (laughs) I'm going to title this one. Well, I mean, if you've, you've already seen the title, but it's going to be called, and it is called nut tapping the pastor. And you're going to have to stick around to the end to know why, uh, I named it that one. One month, one moment. Okay, so uh, right off the cut, I need to make a correction from the Sunday Fun Day special episode that I put up. I said that I haven't seen conservatives go crazy with the Biden win, supposable will, uh, supposable win, and I need to update my stance on that. So, and uh, let me make let me make this known right off the cut. I'm recording this one at midnight, well, one o'clock in the morning because I'm not good with time management. I said it. There I said it. Nah, it's, well, yeah, but it's also because I, I've i been getting this nagging feeling in the back of my mind that even if something isn't perfect, just put it out there. It doesn't have to be perfect just as long as it's there. It's better to put something out there that's not perfect than to hold on to something perfect and never release it or hold on to something until it's perfect and never release it because it never will be perfect. So, yeah, this is um, this is what I'm I'm doing. So, 
like I said, I need to make a correction. So, um, I haven't seen conservatives go crazy in the same way that liberals do. So, I had some time to think about it since that episode, and thinking about it, I came up with this, that Democrats or liberals, which are kind of hand-in-hand, but not necessarily, but Democrats or liberals go crazy emotionally when things don't go their way. So, when they go crazy, there's an emotional response. So, a lot of flamboyancy, a lot of emotion is pouring out of them at that moment, either with tears or screaming or or something that you can physically, it's, it's more of a physical manifestation than, any, than anything else. But Republicans or conservatives, which both can go hand in hand, uh, and that's why I kind of grouped them together there, they go crazy by trying to use reason or, I guess, um, their mental skills or um, just, I'm, I'm doing that, I'm making that noise too much, the, I don't like that noise, it's like the us or ums, they like to use reason to support a belief or, uh, well, I guess I didn't word that correctly, so what they'll do is they'll, they'll try and justify something or disprove something with reason, or show frustration through reason. An example, an example. Uh, With the Biden win, a Republican will say, well, it was fraud, it was election fraud, and it was all these other things that could be interpreted as election fraud. And with that, they will bring in all sorts of theories which can be conspiracy theories, which do, it doesn't mean that it's wrong just because it's a conspiracy theory. That, and that's something that I want to go off on for a second. A conspiracy just means that one or more people are conspiring, meaning they're just speaking about doing something. And a theory, a conspiracy theory, just means that it's a theory, meaning it's a conspiracy that someone has come up with, but you're not 100% sure that they're actually conspiring. It's just a theory that they're conspiring, but there's a lot of evidence that points to it. So it's still a theory, but it's not proven. So there's no there's no negative connotation towards it, in my opinion, but whatever. So with the Biden win, they'll bring in all sorts of theories in, in, in the sense that, oh, well, there's a bunch of stolen votes here and there's a bunch of uh, fuddled with voting machines and there's a whole bunch of Chinese fraud and, and, and election interference and then we have the Dominion Labs and how they were a Venezuelan company and they have all these other things that come in and out and they it you're going crazy not necessarily like mad you're not going insane but you're 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 acting out by using your reason you're acting out by supporting th- any which little thing that you can imagine that comes into your brain to support that the loss wasn't legitimate. Now, I don't believe that the loss was legitimate. I do believe that there was election fraud, mostly probably because I fall onto the conservative side, but I'm just saying I wanted to clear that up. I do think that there is craziness coming from the right, but I don't think it's in the same way that it comes from the left. The left is more emotional. Right is more logical. Not to say that the leftists can't be logical. 
I'm just saying that's the way that it breaks down in my my view. Uh, and I think it's one of those left brain, right brain phenomenons. It's a topsy-turvy thing with the left brain, right brain where, and it's just in the naming of the things and the uh, conventions that we've chosen, but the left side of the brain is actually concerned with structure. So you'd think that a, uh, or someone from the left wouldn't be left brained. Yeah, so, sounds weird the way I said it there, but you, you wouldn't think that they're left brain because left brain is concerned. The left side of the brain is concerned with structure and the right side of the brain is more artistically inclined. That's why when, that's why when someone is lying, their eyes will go up and to the right because they have to draw a picture of the lie in their brain, but, or I'm sorry, down into the right. But whenever they're going up into the left, they're sorting through the filing cabinet because there's a lot of structure in the brain on the left side. So it's, it's, it's not the best thing because people can train themselves to not show that, but it's, it's a decent way to tell if someone's lying or not. And, um, yeah, yeah, there's, there's that little thing, that little clarification right at the front of the show, but the main point of this show is going to be Clovid. We're going to talk about the vid, Clovid, COVID. So let's get into it. I got numbers and stats, and this is from that same website from, I think, the Sunday Funday special. And we're just going to start by reading straight numbers um, because I'm more statistically inclined. So numbers. And I have something to say about that, but let's get into the numbers. So cases, we have 64,675,000. 297 cases you know what i think i'll just do this 64.6 or we could do 64.7 because we can round up we'll do that it's sake of argument anyways or um benefit of doubt anyways anyways i said anyways twice there and I, those are the only two times i caught myself imagine that let's go with it 64.7 million cases there is 1.4 million deaths million recovered, 18.4 million active. There's, uh, what is that? Is that tests given? Oh, that's not, uh, that's not fun. I think that's test given. Mm. Yeah, that's test given. 1 billion tests given, uh, 191. Wow, that's not structured properly. Oh man, that's going to mess with things. Let me see if I can get a better view of that one moment. That's not that's not helping. The way that I have my uh, notes structured on uh, on my notes app is I have a uh, a graph basically of all of these things. I just copied and pasted them from the website, and this is I think a week ago is the last time it's been updated, or not even no four days ago it was updated last, and the numbers just aren't formatting right on the iPad. So I'm just going to read it on the phone real quick. It was. There it is. So just tests, not tests of anything else, just tests, 1 billion tests, meaning tests given. The population size is 7 billion. Cases per million is 8,297 cases per million. So we're talking about just cases of infection or cases, um, I guess, positive cases, meaning like if you go into a hospital and you get tested and you're tested positive, you're a case. Or if you go into the hospital and you say, I'm presumptive positive COVID, you're a case. Uh, Deaths per million is 191.9. And then tests per million is 130 million tests per million people in America. And these are just numbers. This this math is there. Most of it doesn't really have any relevance or um, reason. There's no reason for it to be 
in this episode necessarily, but the numbers are there, so I read, I read them all off. So let's um, let's get into the thing that I wanted to mention about numbers. So I'm more numerically inclined or willing to accept statistics over anecdotal evidence. So I'll take the large number of statistics into account over the one account of COVID. So let me give you let me give you some background on that. So when throwing out all these numbers willy-nilly, I understand, I understand that I neglect the anecdotal cases. So those anecdotal cases are, like I said, that individual who had COVID and suffered horribly, or that individual who had COVID that didn't suffer at all. And I'm not saying anecdotal as if that person's death or suffering is insignificant or that it's not significant to that person. My intention with the use of these stats is just it's to raise awareness of what our success rate actually is in response to the virus. So if any measure that we've been taking to curb the spread or stop the spread or slow the spread or flatten the curve or whatever, whatever our method of achieving that goal is, I want to know if it's being if, if the methods are successful and a way to measure that success is through statistics. So there's that. Um, one moment. <sighs> so in no way, in no way do I want to demean the loss of human life for any reason, let alone the coronavirus or SARS-CoV-2. So let's, uh, I just wanted to get that out of the way right away. Even though I'm using statistics, I just wanted to say, I'm not trying to demean anyone's personal situation or their own experience with COVID. I understand that it can be horrible for a lot of people and that it has taken lives. It's not what I'm trying to get at here. And this is why I wanted to make this as long form as possible because we're, we're at a point where anything anyone says has to be prefaced with so much, what would you say, I have to say so many things before I actually get to my main point just to soften the blow of what I'm going to say because people will take it, will always take it more negative than it is. And that's never been my intention at all. There's no reason for me to come out and say something negative just for the fun of it. There's no re- I mean, I wouldn't do that. So if I was going to say something that had a little bit of a negative connotation, it wouldn't be because I'm trying to get someone pissed off or get under someone's skin. I'm really just trying to get out my own opinion and see if it holds ground, see if it holds water. If it, I'm trying to throw my idea out into the ocean and see if it floats. How about that? There's an example. There's an analogy. But having said all that, here's some more death stats to put the coronavirus into perspective. Um, I mean, it's not necessarily a stat, it's an article, and it's called A Closer Look at U.S. Deaths Due to COVID-19, and the article is in the show notes from now on. All articles that I research will be in show notes just because I could tell you to Google it and do your research, but if I've already Googled it and done the research, at least with the articles that I found, might as well just put them there, so now you know where my bias comes from. I guess, because everyone has a, I mean, if you read an article, you're biased towards it or against it. So there you go. There's my bias, so-called. So um, excerpts from article. 
reading. After retrieving data on the CDC website, Brian, meaning the um, the lady, and when I say lady, I mean the female equivalent of gentleman. I don't mean lady in a negative way. I mean the female version of a gentleman. So Brian compiled a graph representing percentages of total deaths per age uh, per age category from early February to early September, which includes the period from before COVID-19 was detected in the U.S. to after infection rates soared. Surprisingly, of old or the, the deaths of older people stayed the same before and after COVID-19. Since COVID-19 mainly affects the elderly, experts ex- experts expected that's a tongue twister. At least right now, at this time of day, time of night, time of, it's it's time of day and night. Uh, experts expected an increase in the percentage of deaths in older age groups. However, this increase is not seen from the CDC data. CDC, we're talking about the experts here, right? And there's, it's been political. It's been politicized where the CDC is what we need to trust 100% of the time. And, and you hear Kamala Harris or Kamala Harris saying, we, we, we're, we're, we're getting back into a time where we get a president that actually believes in science and a country that believes in science i'm trying to do her voice i'm not doing too great at it but who knows maybe she's everyone's talking about science and how science will save us and how science is what we need to be focused on but then when the cdc comes out with this data everyone tells him retract it it's not right it's going to lead people to do dumb things and it's politicized Continuing on, in fact, the percentages of deaths among the age groups remain relatively the same. So I wanted to bring that article into the mix to say that we're worried about elderly folk. Now, just uh, just yesterday, I spoke with a pastor friend of mine. I, I consider him a friend. I don't know if he feels the same because he um, he barely knows who I am. But I, you know what? Whatever. That sounds sounds like i have no friends um he's an acquaintance meaning i've made mine i've i've made his acquaintance he's made his acquaintance with me we know of each other in some way shape or form but i spoke to him yesterday about covid and about his breakdown of how covid is a very nasty virus which i agree with and that we should be using masks which i don't agree with and if a vaccine comes out, he's not recommending the use of it, but he's not discouraging the use of it. He's saying, leave it up to yourselves, which I agree with. Leave it up to yourselves. It's your own prerogative. There's no one. No one should tell you whether you should or shouldn't take a vaccine or take specific preventative measures for your own health. I won't tell you. If you have cancer and stage one, two, three, four, doesn't matter what, and there is a medicine that you can take i won't tell you to take it or not that's your prerogative if you don't know that there's a medicine out there i'll inform you and then you can make your decision if i at least if i know if i know there's a medicine it's not like i know everything i'm just saying if i knew and you didn't i would inform you but i wouldn't do it with the intention to convince you to take the medicine that's your prerogative in the same way if i had cancer and i chose not to take any medicine that's my prerogative. If I chose to take medicine, that's also my prerogative. I wouldn't want anyone trying to discourage me or encourage me to do something I would or would not want to do. If that makes sense. 
if I think that makes sense. The point is, what was the point? Uh, just lost, lost that, uh, lost that. No, I was speaking to him. There we go. I was speaking to him about COVID and how it affects people. And in his church, he actually lost one of the elders in the church to COVID. And it was horrible hearing it because he mentioned this gentleman quite a few times on his online his online messages and it's it felt like there was a real family environment in that church which actually isn't very often the case in churches which is sad to say there's not a very family environment it's more just hey this is just a place where we come to worship and that's it we don't actually get together afterwards we don't actually treat each other like family it's more like hey there's brother so and so but all I know about him is that he goes to church, and that's sad. But in this situation, it, was, it didn't feel that way. It felt like it truly was a tight-knit family unit. And to have someone pass, and to pass from something that is politicized in this way, meaning COVID, it just it, it made it seem, I guess, just that much worse. You know, Not to say that it would have been any better in any other situation, but whatever. The point is, we had a conversation about it, and there were some other elders in the church including himself he's not very young but he's not also he's not, he's also not that old but there were some elders in the church that didn't didn't have a hard time and that's where my anecdotal evidence comes in because all of the elders that i know personally family wise that caught covid beat it and they didn't even have that big of an issue with it i think one person had a semi hard time where they had to go to the hospital but it wasn't even uh something that they needed a ventilator for or even felt the need for a ventilator it was just kind of some it was, it was pretty harsh respiratory issues so lots of coughing but that's pretty much it and then there's also just there was one case that i heard of where a guy who was what, like he's like 40 years old and this guy was i mean he was flattened he was in the hospital for two months two and a half months and the only like he he accepted everything except the ventilator whatever they wanted to do to try and make it stop because he all he wanted was for it to stop that's it everything but the ventilator is what he was was okay with so it is a wide gambit or gamut however you want to call it. i think it's gambit it's 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 there's a wide range of effects and situations and all the sort of sort all sorts of stuff and it's it's very nuanced so i can't i can't be a person to say your experience doesn't matter or your experience isn't valid because everyone's experiences are valid. But the point that I'm trying to make here with this whole spiel in this part of the show is that it's very, very nuanced. The CDC data shows by the stats that the situation that I'm seeing here where most old folks get past it is what's normal. So just wanted to make that known that I this is one of those moments where the anecdotal evidence lines up with what the scientists are saying. So there's that for whatever that's worth. So I wanted to bring in this um this other info about immortalized cell lines. And the reason why I wanted to bring this up was because there was a family member uh, conservative in nature so it actually has some bearing on the conversation uh, lady told me that 
the re one of the biggest reasons why she doesn't believe in vaccines is because of the fetal cell tissue that's used in the vaccines to be used to create them. And I, I, I have my own issues with vaccines that cause me to not want to use them. And I can get into that and I will probably in another episode. But for this one, we're just going to talk about COVID. Man, I'm getting into all sorts of touchy topics today. Uh, but we'll get we'll get into more. We'll get into more because I, the title of the show is I'm No Genius. And there's a reason for that. I'm not a genius. I'm just freaking Claude. I'm just Claude. I'm nothing special. I'm just trying to think out loud here. So now that that's out of the way, um, we'll continue on. So. I read on the Immortalized Cell Line wiki page, and it's a pretty decent read, but I brought it up because of the lady and because also because of its relationship with cancer cells. But the point about the Immortalized Cell Line is, is at least from what the wiki says, now wikis can be edited by anyone as long as there's some, uh, what do you call it? It's not that easy to edit it. I'll just say it that way. It is decently easy, but you have to cite something and it's, open source so everyone fact checks everyone so if someone edits something to let's say they edit the entire first paragraph to say your mom someone's going to edit it back because they're going to realize that it's stupid so just making that known so the relationship with cancer cells that's kind of what got me going here now this is relevant because immortalized cell cell lines excuse me are used in the research and production of vaccines so where did I have the notes on this? Uh, right here. Let's see if I can make that larger. There it is. Oh, wow. What a, oh, no, there it is. Okay, so I highlighted some sections in here. Okay, so here's part of the article that I highlighted and wanted to talk about. So the subsection title is Relation to Natural Biology and Pathology. So there are various immortalized cell lines. Some of them are normal cell lines. Um, for example, derived from stels, derived from stem cells. I need to talk slower. It's way too early or late to be talking so fast. <clears throat> Other immortalized cell lines are the in vitro equivalent of cancerous cells. So cancer occurs. Now, this is actually kind of important because. So personal story here. My sister and my grandpa both died of cancer specifics my grandpa had liver cancer and my sister had brain cancer and this happened when i was relatively young but i knew the situation i was not extremely but pretty emotionally attached to the situation so when the topic of cancer comes up one wants to know how does cancer occur and there's a few interpretations as to how cancer actually occurs now there's one real interpretation but then the steps that lead to that occurrence can come from multiple paths if that makes sense so i'll, I'll read into this just a second here and then we'll see where we can get this to go but here's what the article says it says cancer occurs excuse me when a somatic cell which normally cannot divide undergoes mutations which cause deregulation of the normal cell cycle controls leading to uncontrolled proliferation proliferation so normal cells or pretty much every cell in the body or in anything 
has what's called programmed cell death. And programmed cell death just lets your cells know that there's a point where they have to die and new cells are created and old cells die all the time in your body, all the time. But when cancer or or when a cell doesn't die, when the programmed cell death isn't programmed into a cell because of... uh, because of a, mi- a mess up with DNA transcription through RNA, I believe is the order of how it goes. That's how cancer starts. And through that, the uncontrolled proliferation continues to cause cancer. So right here, here's, a, here's another portion that I highlighted. It says, immortalized cell lines have undergone similar mutations, allowing a cell type which would normally not be able to divide to be proliferated in vitro. The origins of some immortalized cell lines, for example, like HeLa, 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 human cells, H-E-L-A, human cells, are from naturally occurring cancers. So the point in all that was that the lady that uh, family member, my sister-in-law, I'll just say that. My sister-in-law, she she mentioned that vaccines are made with stem cells or with um, fetal tissue. And I said that from what I heard, they don't use new fetal tissue. They use the fetal tissue of a fetal cell that was, that has been essentially immortalized or the cell line has been immortalized and they use that. And her comeback was, come on, really? Do you really believe that? And I did my digging. And if the science is correct, so take it with a grain of salt because whatever. This is this is one of those things. I put up a question on one of these social media sites and I said, what do you actually know? Like, for real. What 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 do you actually know for a fact? Like, I don't know this for, I'm just reading it. I'm just reading it and hoping that someone smarter than me knows what they're actually talking about. And I can say this as, as much of fact as anyone can prove currently. So not as truth, but as much of fact as anyone can prove currently until disproven because science is on a prove right basis or prove wrong basis. It's always constantly trying to, it's not always constantly. That's double negative or double positive. It's constantly trying to disprove itself. So who knows, sometime in the future, this immortalized cell line wiki is going to be obsolete because they're going to find the true cause for cancerous cells and that the whole immortalized cell line argument is a bunch of bull crap and they've actually been using fetal cell tissue. And who knows, maybe I'm wrong. But from what I'm reading, it seems like the immortalized cell line is a decent argument for using the fetal tissue back from 1960 or 70 or 80 or whatever year frame they used to continue making vaccines out of the fetal cell tissue there we go Mm, there's all that moving on to (laughs) i laugh about this because well i'll get into that so i'll get into that let me read the article and then i'll get into that and i linked this in the show notes as well because i've actually brought this up a few times and people were like oh no way let me have that i want to print that out and hang it up on my wall and i'll explain that later as well so the article is called The Bacterial Action of Propylene Glycol Vapor on Microorganisms Suspended in Air. So 
everywhere that I save this file on uh, things, I'm, I now just have it saved in um, iCloud Drive, so it's through it's shared through all my iOS devices and wherever I can log into iCloud. Um, I I have a title: The Effects of Propylene Glycol. So this has two points. So it has points to be made in the COVID argument for a reason, but it also has points to be made in the tobacco market. So in the COVID market, the propylene glycol is the main ingredient in vape pens or vape juices or vape as a whole. So electronic cigarettes. Propylene glycol is what is used also in fog machines. And I think I'm probably mistaken here, but I'm almost 100% sure. I didn't do any digging into this, so I'm probably wrong. But if I'm not, awesome. I think it's the main ingredient also in nebulizers. So what we use for babies when they need medicine delivered into their lungs. So my little brother, uh, when he was younger, needed a nebulizer for medicine. And it's it's a fairly fairly common process. It's just medicine transferred through vapor. And I think they use propylene glycol to make that happen. Could be wrong. Probably am. But just saying, maybe. I think they actually might just use a, uh, basically a humidifier and they just turn it into humidity or steam by using a humidifier. And it's just medicine. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong on both accounts. I have no idea. I'm just talking out of my butt here. But the, the, the part that I'm not talking out of my butt is this article. And that's the fact that Propylene glycol has been proven to kill viruses, including coronavirus, on contact. Now, that also depends on how much vape is suspended in the air. But if you know anything about the vaping community, it's all about the, the thickest and fattest clouds. So if you like to hotbox your car, you should know your hotboxed car is now COVID-free. And that's, that's the last of my tea. That's not going to be fun. My mouth has been drying out, so we'll see. We'll see how the rest of the show goes. Maybe I'll pause it in the middle and then go get some more. <clears throat> my voice broke. How embarrassing. So continuing on. So that's, that's the part about COVID. If you want to read the article, it's actually, when was it published? Um, July 18th, 19, was that, what is that? Is that 43? Geez, yeah, 1943. Wow. Uh, that's when it was received for publication. I thought it was 70. Wow. 1943. Look at that. So, yeah, the article is published in 1943. It talks about the effects of propylene glycol or the bacterial action of propylene glycol vapor on microorganisms suspended in the air, including coronavirus. So, go ahead and read that. It's pretty fun. Anyone who vapes, you're good to go. Don't have to worry about it. And if you do worry about, about it like I did, um, then just keep on vaping and it'll kill it in the lungs. So you're good to go. Uh, look at that. That's not medical advice. That's just me saying this article says something. So maybe you should try it. So uh, where was it? There it is. The tobacco industry. That's something that I wanted to mention here. So, oh man, did I clip it? I did clip it. Let me see if it's in here. Um, it might not be. Is it in here? Clips, 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 clips. It's not in here. Wow. I did not think that through. 
I'll have to put that, I'll put that in the next show. So every once in a while, I'll get a advertisement on my, on YouTube. And I think most people do because it's kind of just aimed at people of my age and demographic, um, young white males and also young white females, but mostly young white males. <clears throat> but where was it? The, the advertisement I get is for how horribly scary vaping is because if you vape, you could be inhaling harmful metals in your lungs. And to show how scary that is, we made metal monsters. So if if you see if you if you know what I'm talking about, just by that very very bad inter, uh, impression of the gentleman in the advertisement, you'll know what I'm talking about. There is a video advertisement of some guy walking in a warehouse talking about how if you vape, you could be inhaling harmful metals into your lungs, like nickel and I think he said aluminum maybe, but. Just to show how scary that is, they made a uh, computer, a CGI metal monster, and I was like, "Really? Like you have to, like you have to go this far to try and convince us that vaping is bad for us? Really? Come on, man!" But they did. They went that far, and with that, I did the, the noise again. With that, they. It makes you wonder, you know, now I clipped it, I have it, I'll put it in the next show, and I'm going to do some research into it, but here's something that I wanted to mention about that, and I'm going to do, I'm probably going to do a whole show on vaping, and the history of vaping, and how it came to be so popular, and then the downfall of vape, and, and all this other stuff, but a, a point on the downfall of vaping is is this i'm going to do a separate show on the rise and dominance <clears throat> excuse me that my voice broke how embarrassing i'm going to do a show on the rise and dominance of tobacco as one of the main resources harvested by humans and there's going to be that one but there's also going to be one on vape like i just mentioned the point is here that the tobacco industry took a bit of a hit when vaping came out uh became mainstream took i mean pretty significant hit actually it took a very significant hit and one thing that people need to know about tobacco, and most people already know, but it's very, very, very important in world trade and in American trade specifically. It's, it's amazing how important tobacco is. It's, it's amazing how important crops are to our current culture and, and to the world currently, economically, I'll say. It's kind of amazing how important crops are currently because you think that, oh, we're so advanced with technology and computers and all sorts of things that crops aren't really necessary anymore. I mean, farmers are there. We do still need food, but it's not necessary for the economy other than eating. You know, it doesn't really have a big bearing on tobacco is a crop and it just it, it hits it hits differently when you look at it that way, I guess, at least me, you know, because I'm just. A millennial so i don't know much but the point that i'm trying to make here is that i can't remember how it goes so i'll have to do the show on this but i'm going to preface it by saying this i believe that i'll have to i'll just say it the way i think i remember hearing it and then i'll clear it up whenever i actually do the show it won't be the next one it'll be something but at, at some point i'll do a show on tobacco and on vaping 
but tobacco companies, I believe they take bonds out on the states or states take bonds out on tobacco companies. It's one way or the other. And what happens is if the tobacco companies do well, the state does well. And if the tobacco companies do poorly, then the state suffers. And it's some monetary theory thing going on there. But the point that's being made there is that the states and the tobacco companies have a vested interest in making sure that the tobacco companies continue growing and continue making a profit. So if anything were to come through and hurt the bottom line for the tobacco company, it wouldn't just be the tobacco company going after them. It would also be the states and could possibly be federal government as well. So is it so hard to believe that someone that would see their bottom line being affected by vaping and the vaping industry would decide to make a phony baloney commercial and phony baloney scientific article that could or could not be peer-reviewed by either sympathizers or people who had faulty science to begin with, scientific article saying that vaping is bad for you. Because I don't see any reason why it would be when the main ingredient is propylene glycol and the secondary ingredient is vegetable glycerin. So I'm I'm just saying there's it doesn't seem it doesn't seem plausible to me. But like I said, what do I know? I'm just Claude. But then the tobacco company comes out with their iQuas, which is their competitor to vape pens. And if that's not the stupidest name I've ever heard of for a product called I iQuas, it sounds like a Native American term. I'm nothing against Native Americans, but I'm just saying it doesn't sound like a mainstream market term. IQUAS, and it's supposed to stand for I Quit Ordinary Smoking. It's got the same ingredients in it as your, as your cigarette. Everything, all the carcinogens, all the additives, everything. It's just now in a vapable pen. And that's their way of getting at the vape industry. It's, it's, it's a horrible venture idea. I think they should just stick to cigarettes. It's better that way. But, yeah. Continuing on. So this... This podcast is local to the state of Washington, and um, specifically the Spokane County. So, I want to make a specific, a Washington-specific segment on a lot of the things here. So, how really the things I learn relate to the state of Washington specifically. And then once I move to any other state, if I do, when I do, it would be specific to that state, everything that I learn moving forward. So just moving on here, and plus I, I only get updates for the state of Washington, so might as well just put that up in in the show. So an update for Washington. I want to talk about the mandate that um, Governor Inslee put out, and I want to go over what power exactly is given to the state by said mandate. So I'll go over just some of the things that I found in, 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 in the mandate, we'll say, in the mandate. So this is the um, Order of the Secretary of Health 2003, I think is the section or who knows what, and this is on face coverings statewide. Uh, so notice that they don't say face masks because face masks isn't actually what they're trying to do. They're just trying to cover the face. And there's... Wording is very important here. This is something that I don't think is stressed enough 
how important it is to get the words right. In in legal situations, if you don't get your wording right, then you have no legal standing because words matter. Well, what's the difference? Okay, so should and must. Everyone can agree that there are very significant differences between the words should and must. So there's a very significant difference between the phrases face mask and face covering. Now, some can say, oh, it's, um, it's just semantics. There's nothing very, very specifically different. But I would disagree. And then again, that's just, uh, that's just something where I can say I'm just Claude. And that's something where you can say that you have your own opinions. But I can, I can argue that. So we'll get into this, uh, this list of things. Here it says, individuals may remove their face coverings when in public settings under the following circumstances. So check this out. It says that they may remove. So if you read the wording on this, it starts out with the presumption that the state is, the state government is giving you the ability to do something that or they're allowing you to do something they are allowing you in other words you don't normally have the ability to do this but we're gonna let it slide is the presumption being made with the wording in this article so if you read it with that presumption which you should this is this is what they say it says individuals may remove the face coverings when in a public setting in a public setting under the following circumstances while seated at a restaurant or other establishment that offers food or beverage service while they are eating or drinking, provided, provided that they are able to maintain a distance of at least six feet from guests seated at other tables, while engaging in indoor or outdoor exercise activities such as walking, hiking, bicycling, or running, provided that a distance of at least six feet is maintained from non-household members, except that face coverings requirements for Individuals engaged in team sports activities. I don't know about that. While in an outdoor public area, provided that a distance of at least six feet is maintained from non-household members. Uh, it goes on. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. They, they had to mention this in, in the actual mandate. They had to mention this. That you may remove your face covering while sleeping. Just imagine that, like, who, why, if, if you have to put this in a legal document, you have to imagine how many people have actually worn it while sleeping. I don't know. Let's continue on. Any face covering requirement imposed pursuant to an order of the governor must be followed. Okay. Members of the public are required by law to comply with this order, and violators may be subject to criminal penalties pursuant to RCW 43.70.137, parenthesis 7, I guess it's subsection 7, I'm not sure. Um, and then RCW 70.05.124 and WAC 246-100-070, subsection 3, whatever. Signed by, or signed by John Wiseman, whatever, Secretary of Health, on the 24th of June. So this was signed all the way back on the 24th of June. So I got curious, and I wondered, what are these criminal penalties, and what are these uh, forms? 
that they're or these uh these laws, rules, regulations, whatever that they're using to enforce these rules. So I started with RCW 437-130 with subsection 7. And these are the powers and duties of the Secretary General. So then uh, number 7, the subsection 7, says that they have the same authority as local health officers, except that the Secretary shall not exercise such authority unless local health officer fails or is unable to do so, or when an emergency of the safety of the public health demands it, or by agreement with the local health officer and local board of health. So this this mandate really just backs up the claim that they have the right to impose this order on you that's what this one does now then you get to rcw 70 and this is where the violations remedies and penalties come into violating the uh the order so then it's a subsection for any person violating any of the provisions in chapter 7005 uh, is guilty, and I just skipped a whole bunch of the paragraph, is guilty of a misdemeanor, and upon conviction thereof shall be subject to a fine of not less than $25, no more than $100, or to imprisonment in the county jail, not to exceed 90 days, or to both fine and imprisonment. So, it is possible to go to jail for this. It is possible to be put in jail for not following the mask mandates. It is possible for them to fine you. No more than $100. Or was it $120? Let me see here. Um, no. No more than $100. So they can fine you. And they can throw you in jail. They can throw you in jail for 90 days. Up to 90 days. So three months you can be in jail. And pay $100. Not including the amount that you rack up being in a county jail for whatever reason. But yes, it is possible. So this is where you choose your battles. This is where you talk to your local sheriff's departments. And this is where you talk to your local officers. And you ask them specifically, will you enforce this mask order? Because this mask order is a violation of the my constitutional rights, of the Constitution. Will you enforce it? Now, I already spoke to many officers in Spokane. And I asked them, will you enforce this? And every one of them said, no, we're not the mask police, but we will educate you on why you should probably wear one. Now, we won't enforce it, but we will educate you. Call the sheriff's office. No, they don't enforce it. They try to educate you on what the governor orders and give you a understanding of why the government uh, or the governor has given his order. But that's about it. So that's where I've done my research in the state of Washington and in Spokane County. And that's about it. That's all I can say. It's this is this is a moment where everyone will have to choose their own battles and decide, okay, do I want to put a mask on for the time being just to get into Costco and get some food? Now this is this is overlooking people's medical conditions quite a bit. I'm overlooking it quite a bit. Now I, I've used the excuse before, and it's not necessarily an excuse because it is true. You will develop this if you have a mask on for too long, and it's called pleuritis. Now, you get pleuritis from prolonged exposure to your body's natural excretion of viral load because your body is constantly fighting viruses of many sort and bacteria. 
Now, a lot of that bacteria and virus escapes through the mouth and the nose. So if you were to breathe into a mask all day long and it would be caught in the mask, all your breath and virus and bacteria, and you would continue to breathe that back and forth, what does that do to your body? It gives you symptoms of being sick. Even though your body's already used to these viruses and this bacteria and can fight it off, you still get the, what was it, the uh, expression of that disease in your body. Now, I have a few clips that I actually want to talk about, and it's from a specific uh, podcast. They're, they're all from a specific podcast that, uh, it, it's from the Hotep Jesus podcast. He had, uh, who was it? I think it was J. Cole. I think it was J. Cole. Was it? I think it was J. Cole. He had him on the podcast, and they were talking about um, COVID-19, and they were talking about uh, vaccines and restrictions and all sorts of things. And I clipped some things that one of them backs up my peer review argument from last episode. Another one backs or talks about the difference between infection and disease. And another one talks about how vitamin D is what was lacking in a lot of people. And that's another reason why they had a very bad case of the COVID. So before I get into that, I want to get into one more article about uh, religious and faith-based organizations, COVID-19 requirements in the state of Washington. So, Jay Inslee updated restrictions for religious and faith-based organizations uh, in his email that came through to me. And the update clarifies that religious and faith-based organizations can hold outdoor services, check this out, can hold those services with up to 200 individuals regardless of location, so long as physical distancing is followed and face coverings are worn. So just imagine the nerve someone would have to have to say, you can't worship the Lord unless you do what we tell you to do. Just imagine the nerve someone has to have to try and tell you that. And here's how they get around it. They use these two words at the beginning of the article or their statement or whatever. And these two words mean that everything they say after this can be ignored. They say this. With continuing reports of COVID-19 outbreaks at spiritual gatherings, the governor still strongly encourages religious leaders and communities to conduct services remotely. Those two words, strongly encourages, are the only enforcement words they have. In this entire article, I highlighted multiple portions of it. And here's one. In addition to remote and drive-in services, religious religious and faith-based organizations are permitted to conduct. Who's giving you permission? They, they can't give you permission to practice faith. There's no you don't need permission to practice faith in any way, shape, or form. You don't need permission to do so. So, this whole article is crap. And then you get down to it. Here's, here's something that actually, actually they do have control over this. It says, all employees, including religious and faith-based organizations. Now, I highlighted that. Because it says religious and faith-based organizations must specifically ensure operations follow the main L&I 
COVID-19 requirements to protect employees. Now, why would I have highlighted that? What sounds strange about these two words, or these two phrases? Religious and faith-based organizations and employees. What sounds strange about that? If, if you're coming from an outside perspective and you don't know how... Um, and you don't know how churches operate from the outside. The thing that sounds strange there is employees. Why would you, you're not a business? You're a church. Why do you have employees? That doesn't make sense until you realize that churches can apply for what's called 501c3 status, where they can legally pay people to work in the church and those people who work in the church can take that as a legitimate income and have it be tax deductible and the church paying those employees can have it be tax deductible and the donations given to the church can be tax deductible <clears throat> there's one flaw with that argument a church body is not a business and the donations given to the church are just that donations so as simple as it can be a donation is not taxable a donation up to fifty thousand dollars according to shawshank redemption is not taxable a gift at least which is a donation is not taxable so if it's not taxable and a church is not a business, then why do you need to be tax exempt? Because you already are. It's, it's something that, um, I don't know, it's something that, that made me think for a while. I, I've been thinking about the 501c3 status for a while, actually, and it's... <clears throat> How would I explain it? If you're 501c3 as a church building or a church body, you have to follow whatever rules and regulations the state puts out for every 501c3 organization. So you have to follow these requirements. And if you don't follow these requirements, there's the, the penalty isn't just what's written in the penalties of that, uh, that order. If you violate it, the penalties also come down to the church's pocketbook, meaning how did they say it in the official 501c3 rules? They said that if you don't follow the rules specifically, they the state has the right to revoke your tax exempt status and also back charge you for every year you were incorporated and that you didn't pay these and that you didn't pay taxes on. So you are now, you now owe with interest for years of being 501c3 incorporated and now you also get fined on top of that and then possibility of being shut down in the meantime. Whole bunch of nonsense when all you had to do from the start was say, yeah, I'm, not, I'm, tax, I'm tax exempt, I'm a church. Like you can't tax me and my donations because I'm not a business entity and these are donations, so you can't tax it. Simple, done and done. But... I don't know. A lot of people don't go into it that far. I did, and I don't agree with it. 
with 501c3 church bodies. But that's just me. I'm just Claude. I have my own opinions and everyone else does too. I can back mine up. Can you? Anyway, moving on. Here's another article on COVID. So, or you know what? Actually, I want to play those clips for you. So here's the first one. We're going to talk about um, science and peer review and why it's important. Okay. Vaccine court, of course, heard all of the vaccine related autism cases as well. Right. Mm -hmm. That report that was written, the paper that was published in the Lancet, a little thing about papers. Anybody can publish a paper. Right. Any. Right. The thing with papers is peer review. That's what's important. Okay. The public part doesn't matter. Mm. What really matters is the peer review, mm. right? Other scientists in your field going back and redoing your experiments, going back over your data and trying to replicate the things that you did. Mm. That- I don't know if that clip came through as loud as I wanted it to. Uh, it didn't seem like it on the um, on the waveform over here on the sound soundboard, I'll say. But I'm going to turn it up now for the next few that are coming up just so you can hear them a little bit better. Uh, but yes, that's that's how that's how peer review actually works. It's it's having other scientists look at your data and say this is accurate or this isn't a paper doesn't matter. The peer reviewed paper does. Continuing on, this is uh, the difference between infection and disease you're saying is the vaccine has already prepared your body to fight it off. Right. I'm more worried about the disease. Mm. There's a difference between infection and disease. Right. Disease is an expression of the infection. Correct. Right. So there's certain vaccines that fight infection and there's certain vaccines that fight the disease. So that, so the, um, the podcast episode I was listening to, was mainly on vaccines, and that's why they were talking about it. They were talking about the mRNA vaccine that's coming out for COVID and how it actually works compared to traditional vaccines and kind of debunking, I guess. I don't like using that word much because it has that weird connotation to it because of, you know, the politicization of it where... Anything that the media doesn't like or someone in the media or someone with a platform doesn't like, they'll say, oh, that's been debunked. And as soon as they say that, everyone's mind gets blown because, oh, someone's working with false information. Point is, that's what that episode was about. It was about uh, vaccines, but brought up the point right there. The difference between infection and disease is you can be infected. And not be sick because or not and not have a disease because a disease is an expression of the infection. Okay, so all the cases in uh, the news, all the cases that are being spoken of where, oh, we have this many infections in America. Those infections don't matter unless you have the disease because you can be infected, but not have a disease because there's no expression of it all right just making that known here and then here last uh last clip that i'm going to bring up in here is a clip about vitamin d and how it actually is essential kind of keep your immune system don't drink motor oil my guy <laughs> like that right like basic things one of the things that that may have been missing which is super important and maybe has to do more so with diet deficiencies then kind of a willful negligence of this particular factor was vitamin D, 
right? Yeah. So vitamin D plays a very important role. And I've been pushing that also from the beginning. You know, if you if you watched any of my IG rants or debates, I would always, people would ask, well, what are things that I could do? Things that I would tell my family members. And it was like, in addition to prepare for whatever symptoms may come if you catch it, to in the meantime, you should be prepping your immune system as best you can. One of the things that was noticed from a lot of the people who were succumbing, right, to uh, more extreme cases of COVID-19 mm. was that a, a, a vitamin D deficiency mm. in addition to other factors, right? Mm. And so there's a study being done right now to see how deeply the role of vitamin D plays in kind of the, the immune system and what deficiencies and things like that are. So telling people to just um, take vitamin D, if you can get the opportunity safely to go and get out into the sun, understanding that that, that uh, because of your melanin um, and the darkness of your skin, you actually produce vitamin D slower than say a white person, right? So you would need to stay out a little bit longer. But in the meantime, it's, that's somewhat unsafe. Get your hands on some some uh, some vitamin D supplements and stuff like that, or eat foods rich in vitamin D, whichever way you choose to kind of take it, et cetera, like that. Mm. One of the reasons why my clip uh, my clip cutting skill isn't the greatest, but yeah, there it is, there it is. From the mouth of J. Cole himself, vitamin D was necessary, and there are plenty of studies being done on how that should have been talked about more in the beginning, but hadn't been, and how once the lockdown order came in that's that that came down when when was it when summer like before summer actually even rolled around everyone was like told to stay indoors for at least 100 days and that's the whole summer most of the portion of the year when vitamin d is at its best because the sun is out at its brightest so that's where you get this surge of cases because people are deficient in vitamin d from the best source possible anyway I wanted to talk about the origin of the virus because, you know, this is one of those episodes now where we're trying to learn things. But I might have to get back to you on that in about 15 years since all the news sources are clouded with bias. So, we may never know the origin, the true origin of COVID-19. But, that's fine. We still don't know officially the true cause of 9-11. So, I mean, everyone has their theories and everyone will stick to their guns. And I was barely old enough to remember. I do remember, but not in the same way that most do who say they remember. So, I'll leave it at that. And I won't talk much more about it because I'll get myself in trouble. Because, like I said, I don't remember enough about it. But I feel like this will be the same thing. We'll never know the true origins. Everyone will have their own reasons to believe certain things. And I do truly believe that it did come from Wuhan. And that it was made in a lab, this virus. But that still doesn't mean that that's the truth. So, we'll just leave it at that. What I will talk about is this. The response to this virus. Not the virus itself, but the response to the virus is the cause of all of the economic turmoil that we're seeing right now. A virus is not a human. A virus doesn't have free will. 
We keep anthropomorphizing this thing. We keep giving it human traits and qualities, saying that the virus is on a rampage and the virus is shutting down all these things and COVID is causing all the shutdowns and COVID is making these, these suicide rates soar. The virus has nothing to do with it. It's our response to the virus. That's, that's what's causing all this. And speaking of responses, we have a citizen response. Now, this article came out last week. And there's been an update to this article. So the update to the article is not as cheery and laughable as the article. Because the article made me laugh is a great, great idea. And the title is that there is a New York City bar owner that decided to go around Cuomo's tyrannical COVID restrictions and declare his bar an autonomous zone. And he said that, he said this, what was it? It says, you think you scared me by saying I don't have a license now to serve liquor? Well, guess what? That liquor license is on the wall. If that liquor license is going to come off the wall, it's going to be done by Cuomo. You want to come down here and pull the license off the wall? And basically declared his bar an autonomous zone, meaning that, hey, I, you want, if, if you want to come down here and take it off the wall, you have to because I'm autonomous. You can't tell me to do anything now, just like the Chaz or Chop zone in Seattle. So that's, that's on you. That's, I liked it. I loved it. I loved the article. And then, what was it? I think it was just yesterday or the day before, um, got an email from the Louder with Crowder news, was it the newsletter? And it was talking about how the uh, the gentleman that that said all that, his it was either him or his co-owner is now in prison, in jail, facing some time because they decided to make a martyr out of him. And now, good news is he's got lawyers on his defense, and there's there's plenty of people you know rallying behind him, and I, I think he'll win. You know, he'll still have to pay fines probably, but. He still went to jail. He still suffered. He still has to pay fines just for continuing to run a business. But, you know, like, what are you going to do? Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things. So, I don't know. It's, it's, it's horrible, but that's, that's how it is. I didn't think this, this episode was going to be a cheerful one anyways. I think that works grammatically. I think that one, that anyways works grammatically. Maybe it does. I don't think it does. It probably doesn't. I didn't think this was going to be a cheerful episode anyway. But, you know, it, it's, it had to be done. You know, it was, it was bugging me for a while. I've, I've hated everything that had... I've hated this response to this virus since the beginning of it. I thought, oh, everything, I thought everything that they've done in this was a farce. Every single response was a farce. And it's not getting any better. So... I needed to kind of get it all out right now. And here's one more thing to get it all out. I, this is the last, well, second to last point that I'm going to make. Because uh, the last point is kind of a shameless plug kind of thing. But here's here's the last thing I'm going to say on this topic. The ex- the, this is an article. The expenses used for PPP loan forgiveness, are they deductible or not? So I listened to 
one of these recent episodes from DH Unplugged that's got uh, John C. Dvorak and I think it's Andrew Horowitz on it. And they it's a podcast where they talk financial stuff, markets and the way the markets go and just financial things. Now, it's not 100% my cup of tea because I don't know enough about finances to be extremely interested in it. But this actually, like this really got me interested because my family or my wife's family is very entrepreneurial minded. They, almost every one of my wife's brothers and sisters, almost, almost all of them, I think minus two or three of them out of the 14 brothers, she's from a family of 14. I'm from a family of 17. So it's, it, they're, they're large, but I think three of them don't own businesses. One being my wife, uh, they don't own businesses, but the rest do. And they, we're all, most of us are in Washington and they all heard about the PPP loan forgiveness and how you can get this loan up to 50 grand, I think, or even maybe a little bit more, uh, depending on size of business. And you can get this loan basically as like a, a grant that doesn't have any interest on it. And you just pay it back whenever, like there's no, there's no interest. So you literally have a lifetime to pay it back. And it's essential. It was essentially free money. So they all applied, and I believe they all received money back. I believe. I didn't ask them, so I probably should have before I recorded this because they might even listen to this. I don't think they'll get to the end. It's a freaking hour of me talking. They get enough of that all day. But the point I'm making is that that money isn't deductible. You you have to pay taxes on it. So imagine paying taxes on an extra 50 grand because the government decided to say, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 that's not a loan, that's income. Yeah, because if, if, if it was actually a loan, there would be interest on it. No, that's income for you. You have to pay us back now off the money that we gave you to survive. And that has to be paid this year or this upcoming year. So, yeah, everyone was, um, <laughs> all of them were trying to say, yeah, go ahead and apply for it. You have a business license, don't you? Yeah, go ahead and apply for it. You'll get some money. Don't worry about it. Go for it. <clears throat> Glad I didn't. Just saying that right now, because my tax load is probably going to be pretty decent already. So I don't, I'm happy that it's not going to be any worse than it is currently. So, continuing on to the last point. Now, this will be a first because I don't think, Aaron, hmm. yep, we'll just say it that way. I think that's, that's the best way that I could say it for right now. This will be a first because I don't think that I should be paid for certain things. Like, for example, biblical topics covered. My reasoning behind that is why should I ask to be paid for something or anything that the Lord revealed to me for free? So any of my um, first episodes not monetized, any of mine aren't monetized because I don't, I don't believe in monetization necessarily. So there's that. But I do follow the value for value model, and I, I'm, I'm starting to see more and more people do the same thing. And with podcasting 2.0 coming out, it's basically going to be an, a necessity, follow, following the value for value model. So I will be one of the first on board with podcasting 2.0's value system as well. Uh, but until that's officially and completely integrated into most podcast apps, I made a website with a donation section on it. So you could help me out if you want to. 
if you feel like any of this is of value or if you feel like you'd like to provide value. Now, it doesn't have to be a donation of the third T. So the three T's, I follow the three T's, time, talent, or treasure. It doesn't have to be the third T, the treasure. It could be your talent or your time. Your time is just listening in. Your time is sitting down to talk to me. You know, send me articles. That's your time. Your your talents would be to do what Rexo did for me and make me a really awesome intro. And you're about to hear the outro. But if you'd like to, it'd be great if you would go visit the website and donate something, any of the three T's, and just share some of the value. If you decided to stick out to this long, um. Maybe I might be smarter about this and put this in the middle of the podcast because who knows who listens all the way to the hour and 16 mark. I do to every podcast. I always listen to the end just because you never know when you'll find that nugget. So that's about it. Uh, Let me make sure I have, I believe I have every single link. Yep. All right, cool. This will be it. I'm signing off. This already is the longest one done. And I believe that covers everything I need to about covid for the foreseeable future except for numbers most of the next episodes will have the uh the numbers but i'm continuing on we're done here to my podcast give me five stars Oh, I forgot. Um, the the title of the show. I uh, <laughs> our pastor came over for a uh, an after church get together thing. We had some some guests over from another visiting church, and we we had a meal at uh, my sister in law's house, and the pastor came through with a gift of some bagels and a box. And, you know, goes around, gives everyone hugs. And while he was walking through the house, um, someone, someone reached up to give a hug. And on the way down, there was a weird motion, twist motion of either or or both participants in the hug action. And on the downswing of one of the arms, there was a quick nut tap. <laughs> and... <laughs> It made the whole situation awkward for everyone, but it was hilarious and no one mentioned it until after the pastor had gone. So I don't know. It was, it was awesome. And I thought it was a worthy enough situation to deserve the title of the podcast. So there it is. There's, there's your explanation.